All the races that I've done throughout the years, I've never kind of heard anybody complaining that they've gone too slow at the start of an ultra. You know, it's normally the other way around. If you if you go off too quickly, then you're going to suffer at the end of the day. Hello and welcome to No Finish Line podcast featuring athlete interviews and discussion on running, training, traveling and adventure. And I'm your host, John O'Regan. This episode is sponsored by Great Outdoors, Ireland's premier outdoor retailer, and today we are recording in the new Great Outdoors store on Silkwood, Georgia Street in Dublin. You'll find them online at www.greatoutdoors.ie. I'm joined today by Brian Buckley. Brian is an ultra-trail runner from County Cork in Ireland, and in September of this year, 2019, he won the Kerry Way Ultra. This is a 200km race following the Kerry Way on a Killarney to Killarney loop. Brian, welcome to the podcast and thanks for making the effort to be here. We've been trying to set us up since September and had a few failed phone calls and meet up. Hi John, thanks for having me on. Um, finally, great to, to meet you and let's hope we get a good podcast going. Am I right in saying you started long distance trail running as recently as 2014? Yeah, I think it was about 2014, like January of that year, I did my first trail race, kind of short one up in Ballyhora. And um, kind of from there, then it kind of progressed into the longer stuff. The Glen of Aherlow Ultra in September 2014 was probably my first ultra race. And what were you doing previously to that? I suppose I played, played soccer kind of growing up, played for various clubs down in Cork. So it was predominantly soccer and uh, golf when I, was, when I was younger. I did do kind of Dublin Marathon as a one-off, I think it was 2007. And then I did a couple of Cork City Marathons kind of while I was playing soccer. But it was it was really 2014 on and I kind of started mainly running on its own, you know. And why the transition to trail running? Like I didn't do much road running at all. I did, did the odd road race here and there, but I just loved the kind of buzz of the trails, you know. And I remember doing my first downhill part of a trail race up in Ballyhore and I just absolutely loved the buzz of the downhill. So I think I was hooked kind of from that day on, like. And are you living close to the hills? Like what was the attraction? I'm not really. Like I'm living in Douglas in Cork City. So I I kind of have um, local woods there, Gary Duff, that I, I would utilise in my training. So it's kind of like a maybe a five or a six k loop around the woods. But if I was doing a longer trail kind of run, I'd probably have to go to maybe Killarney would probably be my favourite spot, or maybe Cornhill just outside from Moy, and maybe up to the Galties. But uh, Killarney would probably be my my preference if I if I was going for a long kind of training run, you know. And is that much of a spin from where you're living? It's about I could probably get there in about an hour and fifteen minutes, and to the base of current tool so if I was doing something around the reeks from Cronin's Yard you're probably talking an hour and a half Now you're a member of Watergrass Hill Athletics Club in Cork would they be primarily a trail running club or what's the distance they do? Uh, no, John, it's predominantly a road running club, but I'd say we probably do have probably the, the strongest kind of trail kind of section of any of the clubs in Cork. You know, I'd say we probably have maybe 10 or 12 lads there that are, who are constantly going going trail running. So if you go to any of the Munster races, it's probably the more Abbey Milers and Watergrass Hill are probably the two kind of predominant clubs at, at most of the races. So there's, there's a good kind of good gang of us there. Like. Now, you mentioned a bit about where you do your training. Do you do any cross training or is it all primarily running? It's mainly running, John. So I, I'd mix it up in a, a lot of road running um, and then I'd, I'd kind of hit the trails in and I'd do the odd bit on the bike, but not much like um, maybe a small bit of mountain biking. Um, I'd, I, I used to have a road bike, but I kind of packed that up maybe three or four years ago. So it's it's mainly running really like. Now the Kerryway Ultra, I noticed that you did the Kerryway Ultra Light back in 2017. Then 2018, you took on the full ultra. You finished fifth in a time of 30 hours, 26 minutes. And then this year, you did the Kerryway Ultra yet again, and you finished in 25 hours, 20. What's the attraction with the Kerryway Ultra? 
I remember when the race kind of started, I think there was maybe three people did it the first year, but I remember reading about it and I was kind of, um, I was intrigued by the race, you know, and then there was a guy in our club, Paul DC. He did the Kerryway a couple of times. I think he finished fourth and third, maybe four or five years back. So I, I would have kind of followed the race probably every year, kind of intrigued, you know, by the distance and, you know, how hard it was. And, you know, I, I kind of, I, I did the light twice, um... So I was always kind of at the back of my mind that, that maybe somewhere down the line that, that I'd love to give the kind of the 200k a shot, you know. Now, just as you mentioned, there were three runners back in 2013. There was actually 10 runners back in 2013, but only three finished. And that seems to be similar to what has happened in years since then. I think the race was first ran in 2012 as, as a test run, and then the official race happened in 2013. So the race itself starts in Killarney at 6 a.m. on a Friday morning, and then the finishes. What's the time limit? 36 hours, is it? Uh, I think the cutoff is 40 hours in total. So it starts at 6 a.m. Friday morning, and I think the cutoff is 10 p.m. on Saturday night back, back in Killarney. And in that first race, it was won by Stefan Despalier in 27 hours, 8 minutes. Second place was another male, Jens Wacher, in 30 hours, 45. And then the third finisher was, was also the first female finisher was Bridget Brady in 37 hours, 56 minutes. Now, I noticed from this race that a lot of people seem to go back and do it again and again. What do you think is the big attraction and what made you actually choose the race? Um, I think it's it's a very attritional race, you know, where a lot of years you would have up to 50% DNF rate. So I think, you know, a lot of people who try it and, and fail you know, at the first and second attempt, they're, they're kind of determined to go back and, and try and get, get that finish that they were looking for, you know. From my point of view... You know, I was always there in the back of my mind uh, as a race that I kind of, you know, wanted to do. I wasn't sure last year if I was up for it. I remember there was a gang of us headed out to the Alps. We were kind of fast-packing around the UTMB route, and uh, one of my buddies there, Joe, he was already signed up for the race. So he was kind of trying to convince kind of a couple of others to do it as well. But I think it was kind of the third day that we were out there that I think we got lost, and we ended up doing like 51K over, I think it was about maybe 13 or 14 hours. And I think... That was kind of the third kind of hard day in a row, and in my head I kind of thought that, you know, maybe I was ready to take on the carry away, because, you know, I'd, I think we were after doing three kind of really tough days in the Alps, so I, I think it kind of just clicked with me then that maybe I am ready to take it on, you know. You actually mentioned the dropout rate of about 50%. This year there were 94 starters in comparison with the 10 back in 2013, and this year there were 57 finishers. That's quite a, a high dropout rate, as you mentioned. How do you think the Alps compared with the carry away? Yeah, I think they're very different, you know, the thing about the Kerry Way, it's a 200k race, but it's probably a very runnable kind of 100 miler in comparison to some of the other races in Europe, the likes of the UTMB, You're, you've got climbs there that are climbing up to two and a half thousand metres, you know, and Kerry Way is, is a lot different, it, it's more runnable, so they're two kind of very different races, so I, I think you don't probably need as much kind of vertical training for a race like the Kerry Way in comparison to the races out in the continent. Would you say the Kerry Way is more of a slog and you have to deal with bogs and changing terrain? You have a lot more variety. That's right, yeah. I mean, the trails out in the likes of Chamonix there and the UTMB, you know, they're, they're dry trails. You know, you might cross the odd bit of snow, but like in Kerry, you're kind of going across everything. It's a mixture of, you know, bogs, header, country roads, you know, forest trails. So it probably is tougher underfoot, you know, and it's it might be kind of less runnable in, in certain parts, but then in other parts, you're kind of running on flatter terrain. So it is probably more runnable, right? Like. Now let's focus a little bit on the race from this year. You said you lived about one and a half hours away from Killarney. Did you stay in Killarney the night before or did you drive down on the morning? 
No, I so basically the registration takes place in Killarney the evening before the race. So I kind of packed up in Cork maybe around four o'clock. So I kind of had a bit of dinner before I left and um, headed down for registration in Killarney. So I was staying with uh, my friend Joe. Uh, that night, so um, I, I stayed over in Clarny and then, then got up uh, on the Friday morning for the race. Now, I'm going to ask you what your dinner was the day before because I think your pre-race meal has a significance on how your performance pans out. So, what was that? I had two dinners, actually. I had one in Cork, I think around maybe half three, three-ish there. I had a big plate of pasta with eggs, spinach, beetroot, tomato, avocado. And then I think that evening I kind of just grabbed uh, something kind of fast in the shop. It was like a beetroot salad with a bit of sweet potato, I think it was, and maybe a bit of turkey. And then kind of the morning of the race then was a big bowl of porridge with chia seed, banana, a bit of strawberry, and a small bit of dark chocolate then melted into it. And did you have a good night's sleep the night before? I'd say all the races that I do, I, I generally don't get a good night's sleep. Um, no, I'd be bad for kind of sleeping away from my own bed anyway. So I just made sure I got kind of two or three good nights sleep, you know, that, that week. So the Tuesday night, the Wednesday night, you know, I, I, I made sure I, I was getting some, some good hours of sleep in, in both nights there. Yeah, and that definitely helps. We've always said it's not the night before the race that matters. It's the night before the night before. And when you're doing a race of this kind of distance, it's also the night before the night before the night before. So you get as much sleep as you possibly can. How did you feel on the start line? Did you feel rested and ready? Yeah, so I did the race last year. And I remember last year I was very nervous beforehand because I think the the longest race I had done up to that was, I think, around 75k. So it was a big jump uh, last year so I was very kind of nervous this year I kind of felt a lot a lot more relaxed you know and felt a lot calmer kind of on the start lines this year what was your intention when you were standing on the start line was it just to finish was it to do a PB based on your time from the year before or was it to actually be finishing as one of the race leaders because of the length of the race it's hard to you know predict what's going to happen so i think the first objective was just to finish the race and i was talking to a lot of guys kind of at the registration and fellas who hadn't done the race before and we were just chatting away and they were asking me what we expecting and i remember saying like just to finish the race was was the number one priority but then after that i sat down with dave Carr there he was one of my crew lads and we, we were talking about the race and kind of we were analyzing last year so we kind of were pinpointing kind of places where we could, you know, make up time. And I definitely thought I could maybe cut three hours off last year's time. I was kind of fitter and faster than I was last year and stronger. And then like last year, the weather was absolutely horrendous, you know, especially during the night. So I, the, the forecast for this year was good. So I thought that was kind of going to make things a bit easier. And then, you know, we had a plan then for the, the aid station. So it was literally just going to be in and out and, and spend as little time as possible um, at the aid stations so that there was kind of a decent enough plan that we had put in place you know now when the race started did you stick with your plan from the beginning or did you get caught up with the pre-race nerves and just take off that was probably one of the most pleasing aspects for me during the race was like m- my plan was to go off really really easy you know and, and, and take it handy and it was, it was only actually looking back there they did kind of um, kind of profile videos at the registration and i remember t- saying that you know i was going to take it nice and easy and you know, just kind of tip away. And that's exactly what I did. Like I, I ran with a lot of guys there, you know, middle of the pack guys. And I, I think I was barely in the top 20 coming into the first checkpoint at Glencare. So plan was to take it really, really, really handy. I mean, all the races that I've done throughout the years, I've never kind of heard anybody complaining that they've gone too slow at the start of an ultra. You know, it's normally the other way around. If you go off too quickly, then you're going to suffer at the end of the day. 
Yeah, that's a very good point, and that's something I see all the time at twenty-four hour races. You can't say you were leading it at the start; it's what happens in kind of in the later hours of it. And as you mentioned, there we're going into that checkpoint at Glencar. I didn't even see you on the tracker because there were so many bunches around there. But two stops later, you went to from Glencar to Glen Bay and then Foilmore. And Foilmore, you were then in fourth place, so fourth place out of. 97 like that's kind of right up there at the pointy end again i wasn't paying too much attention to you but then things started to change when did you kind of switch over to like a racing mode or did that happen at all after the first section like i paired up with um, a german runner uh, george he's actually he's done loads of races in europe he's he's done the berkeley i think as well we kind of got a nice nice pace going together so we kind of, the, the pace kind of picked up a small bit. We were kind of passing guys as, as we went went over the Breda Valley and, and, and over towards um, Glen Carr. So when I think when I came into Glen Carr, I maybe was in 7th, 8th, ninth maybe. And I know there was a couple of lads there that were kind of, when I came into the aid station, they were kind of, you know, getting food and drinks and stuff. So I, I same thing, I only had drop bags at this stage because my crew wasn't coming to kind of Waterville. So my buddy Joe was there. And he just said, "Look, you're 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 tipping away nicely." Rory and John were just just after leaving, so I think at that stage there was five guys in front of me. So I kind of spent the next section on my own, then trying to catch up with with Rory and John before we got to Glen Bay. So when I came into the aid station in Glen Bay, the lads were there, and then I kind of left with the two guys, and we kind of we kind of ran together for a small bit. So I think when we came into Gartmore, we kind of came in together. We kind of split up there for a small bit, but we kind of regrouped coming into Gartmore. At that stage, it was only three guys in front of us. So we had Sean Clifford, Key Wynn, and I think Fergus Milligan was in third place. I didn't know much about Fergus, but I knew Sean and Ricky were probably the two favourites in the race. Well, they were definitely kind of faster than me, but I, I was kind of hoping that, you know, if I just kept plugging away, that, that I'd eventually kind of grind them down and, and catch up with them, you know. So I think at Gartmore, I was about an hour and 22 minutes maybe behind the two leaders. So it was, I think, kind of from there then, it was, it was a case of trying to get to Waterville as quickly as possible and see what happened then after that. Yeah, and that's exactly who I was watching was Sean Clifford and Ricky Wynn. And then I know Rory Campbell is a very solid runner. So I was actually expecting him to be the dark horse or Ricky Wynn. So it was a while after that then that you took the lead. I think it was a Temple No, was it? It was just after Temple No. So we, I came into Waterville, myself, John and Rory. Same thing, there was maybe kind of 30 seconds between us when we got to Waterville. And I suppose that's kind of the halfway point in the race. So... I think it was at that stage then, it was kind of, the leaders were kind of, they were getting into a bit of difficulty. I know Rory, or sorry, not Rory, um, uh, Shawnee and Ricky weren't feeling the best, so Joe was kind of marshalling in Waterville. He kind of came over and said, look, Ricky doesn't feel too good. He's not sure if he's going to go back out, and Shawnee's only after leaving there, so, and he, he's not feeling the best. So I kind of knew then that the, the race was kind of, the race was only kind of getting started. Um, so when I, t- when I left Waterville, I think I might have been 22 minutes behind Sean at that stage. And that's when my crew had come along then. So I had the two, two Daves and Maria there with me. And it was literally just a case of trying to chase Shawnee down then through the night section, you know. At that point when you knew the dynamics of the race had changed, how did that affect your racing strategy? Did you start to feel a bit nervous, a bit apprehensive? Because I know it's easier chasing somebody than it is being chased. It kind of changes how your mindset is. And in some ways, it can force you to take too many chances and forget about your racing plan. Definitely. I mean, I think when I left Waterville, I, I knew that the kind of race was up for grabs, really. And there still was there was still a long way to go. Um, now, the cr- my crew were kind of saying, look, just don't go too quickly trying to catch on. You know, just keep 
tipping away nicely at, at your own pace. The last thing I think they wanted was for me to kind of go hard to chase Sean, and then when I when I caught him, then you know, I'd actually be spent and I wouldn't have anything left in the tank. So when I left Waterville initially, I, I left before Rory and John, and I thought that they might pair up because they had run kind of most of the race together. So initially, I was kind of you know I was in second place then, and I was trying to put maybe a bit of a gap into the two lads behind me rather than kind of thinking about Shawnee. So I was kind of, at, at that stage, I was kind of worried about the two lads behind me. And, that, and I suppose it kind of, it drove me on for the next kind of 20, 30 K. Uh, it was only kind of before we got to Sneem, like it was kind of nighttime now at this stage. And it was kind of the first kind of time I couldn't see the, the two lads behind me, their lights were gone. So I knew I was after opening a gap. And I checked my phone and on the tracker, it was kind of the first time that I was closer to Shawnee than I was to the two lads behind. So I think by the time I got into Sneem, there was only kind of five minutes between the two of us then at that stage. And then when you got ahead of Sean, you know that he's still a contender. Like Sean Clifford is very experienced and you know he's not going to give in. So he's always going to be on your tail and he's going to be waiting for any signs of weakness in you. Was there a point in the race after that that you kind of felt, I have it now, or did you think that you were going to lose it? A mixture of emotions, really. When I passed him first, you know, I kind of chased him down for, for 70 kilometres. I think it was like over seven hours. And I was kind of just thinking about catching him the whole time. And I never actually thought like what, what I do when I did pass him out, you know, and it was only when I passed them then I kind of panicked a small bit. You know, I was leading the race. Uh, I'd never actually kind of thought about what way I was going to run after that. So I, initially, I just wanted to put a bit of a gap between us. But I knew from last year, like, Shawnee finished second the two years before that. And last year, he led the race and Gavin Byrne had won it. But he kind of finished very strongly after having a difficult patch. So kind of in the back of my mind, I was thinking that, you know, maybe the same thing was going to happen this year, that that he was going to kind of regroup and um, he was going to come back after me. So it was only, I'd say maybe about maybe seven or eight kilometres to go that I, I really kind of thought that I'd done enough to win at that stage, you know. Let's go a little bit backwards now in the race. Was there any point in it where you felt like giving up, that you thought you weren't going to finish, it was just a bit too much? Not really, John. I think there was one point just before Gartmore. I think up to that point, I was kind of, you know, working off drop bags for nutrition and there was a lot of you know, energy chews and cereal bars and, and my stomach was feeling a bit iffy at that stage. So I got into Gartmore and luckily enough, Barry Drennan was after cooking kind of some baby potatoes. So I got them on and I kind of felt good after that. Kind of funny because last year I suffered really badly at the, during the night section and I was almost waiting for that to happen again this year. But I kind of felt strong and I felt good throughout the night. Like so kind of it, it went very well for me, you know. So you didn't have any issues with sleep deprivation? No, and, and that was a big thing last year. I remember like there was like three of us ran together, myself, Dave and Kaz last year, and there was at times we were like falling asleep, literally going up a hill, you know, you'd, you'd be kind of power hiking up the hills and your eyes were cl- would be closing, and that never kind of happened to me this year. And I think it was, you know, maybe it was down to adrenaline where the whole kind of time I was running through the night, I was either running to catch Sean, Shawnee or I was running, you know, to get away from him, so... I'd say the adrenaline was kind of pumping through the body and, and that definitely helped me, you know. And how was your nutrition during the race? For the first half of the race, I, I just kind of used stuff from the from drop bags. So it was basically energy chews, kind of cereal bars. I was using tailwind drinks up until Waterville. And then when the, the crew came along, then I was I basically had, um, at each checkpoint, then I had um, 
a wrap with chicken and avocado and a bit of cheese in it, a cup of soup. I think from Waterville on, I actually didn't eat anything for the rest of the race between the checkpoints. So it was only, I'd come in and the guys would have the food ready. So I'd eat half the chicken wrap with the cup of soup and then I'd eat the other half kind of leaving the checkpoint just to kind of minimise the time spent in the aid station. I definitely think it kind of, it helped uh, to shave off um, some time, you know. And what about your hydration? How did you manage that? From the start, there was tailwind, so two bottles of tailwind, and I just kind of refilled them at the checkpoint. I had bottles ready there to top up the bottles, and then once my crew were, were there in Waterville, it was basically just swap out the bottles, and I switched to water and Pepsi. So from kind of Waterville on, so 7 o'clock in the evening on, it was a, a mixture of water and Pepsi, and then just kind of a bit of sugar and a bit of caffeine to keep me going, like... Now, I'm not overly familiar with Hellwind, but it, it seems to be quite popular. Is that purely a carbohydrate drink or is it just electrolytes? It's a carbohydrate uh, drink, John. So I think it's you put a, a scoop or two into the soft flask. So you're, you're, I think you're looking at about maybe 100 calories per scoop. Now, I probably did make it up a small bit too concentrated. I think I did two scoops per bottle and I think I was getting fairly kind of sick of it because I had extra in the car for, for the evening if I needed it, but I, I just kind of between the Pepsi and the tail when I said I just go with Pepsi and water for, for the night time because um, I think it was just too sweet for me you know with the stronger mix of the carb drink did that cause you any gastric problems no not that I can recall anyway I, I think it was just the sweetness you know I was my stomach was getting a bit iffy and I, I, that's why I think I changed the water then after that now this is the first time I've ever heard of anybody using Pepsi in a race <laughs> That's uh, I I actually work for PepsiCo, John. So I refrained from using the other uh, <laughs> the other uh, type of cola. So I think I got a bit of stick before. Put a picture up on Twitter from a race that I did earlier on in the year, and I think the our former GM spotted a couple of uh, red cola bottles in in the box. So it didn't go down too well. So Pepsi is better than the other one. That's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now let's talk a little bit about the gear. Is there something that you wouldn't be without? I suppose you definitely need a, d- a decent jacket, you know. Jacket and shoes are probably the two main things, really. Like, I used the Columbia's, uh, the FKT Transalp during the race. I used them last year, and they kind of served me well. So they're good for long distance, and they've got good grip on them. So I think they were a good choice of shoe. Like, What kind of bag were you using? So I just used the Salomon 8-litre. just has the two front pockets for the soft flask, and then a couple other front pockets then for likes of um, energy shoes or your phone or anything else you might need to, to, to get access to, you know? Yeah, I find that very handy having pockets at the front that says you have to take the bag off especially if you're on your own if you're running with a partner you can get them to take something out of the back without having to take the bag off did you use walking poles i did actually yeah and i think i got poles out i think when we went through um the black valley there and i got them out there and i actually didn't put them back in the bag so i got them out early i just find they're extremely helpful going up the hills like and I kinda I was looking at other guys and talking to other lads and they were saying, Oh, I I've poles waiting for me in Waterville and I was kinda thinking to myself like that you should be utilizing them earlier in the race and I find especially going uphill that anytime I don't use them I tend to kinda crouch over going uphill and I kinda have issues with my back and my neck stiffening up so I, they definitely save the back. That's a good point. With a piece of equipment like that, you should be looking at it rather than looking for it. And especially with the gear being so lightweight, I think that's something you should be carrying. And as you mentioned there, if you're stooping over, gravity is bringing you down rather than bringing you forward. So the poles can be very, very beneficial. Are poles something you would recommend for anyone doing a race like this? Yeah, I'd say anything maybe over the 50k mark, especially anything that has any bit of elevation, you know, they're very beneficial, you know, and I'd say they'll save you energy over time, you know. 
Can you explain the mental side of a race like this? Like when you're standing on the start line and you know it's 200 kilometers until you get to the finish, but it's not just 200 kilometers. You've also got to deal with the variety of terrain. You're going from road, you're going to open mountain, you're going uphill, you're going downhill. So it's a hell of a lot of an effort, plus you're going through the night. How do you break that down? I think, especially for the Kerry Way, it, you'd want to probably break it into sections. You know, if, if you start looking at the race overall, you know, it, it's very easy to get demoralized. So what I did was I just kind of broke the race down per segment. So I, I ran basically checkpoint to checkpoint. Now, I knew the course from last year and, and I would have wrecked a lot of it as well. So mentally, I knew what was ahead in each, in each section. And it was just basically kind of focusing on getting from one checkpoint to the next without thinking about the bigger picture, you know. Now, you mentioned... In the latest part of the race, you were running with some other runners. Did you spend much time on your own during it? I was thinking about this recently, and I'd say I probably spent about 75% of the race on my own. So I, I paired up with Rory Campbell and John Mollahan between Glen Bay and Gartmoor, and then kind of similarly after Gartmoor and towards Waterville, but there was a couple of points where we split up. And apart from the first section of the race, then I, I think I ran, ran the, the rest of the race on, on my own, you know. And how was your navigation? Did you get lost at all or were you all okay? Not to be fair that the Kerry Way is, is pretty well marked out. So it's a way marked trail, so you're kind of you're following the, the kind of hiker's route, you know, the, the, the little yellow man. People might think that it's kind of harder at night time, but it's actually nearly easier because with the head torches on, the kind of yellow man kind of illuminates, you know, so it's actually nearly easier to kind of navigate through the night. And had you a good head torch? I did, yeah. I used the Petzl Neo, so I, I had that and I had two or three kind of backup batteries so i think i had to, to switch battery once during the race and i think there was another time where i probably should have changed it was not long after i kind of passed sean it was the last climb up before we got down to kenmare and the kind of with the petzl it kind of starts blinking you know when the battery is going i knew it was going to go on to its lowest beam which it does when the battery is draining and at that stage it's actually a tough enough section to, to navigate it's probably the hardest part of the race to navigate and um, because the marking posts are kind of well spaced out and there's not, there's not really a defined trail. So my flashlight was failing and I could see kind of Sean, he was behind me coming up the hill. So I kind of got a small bit panicky because my light wasn't kind of picking up the yellow man. It was so dim. So I, it was one of the markers I couldn't find. So I was kind of circling around maybe for two or three minutes there trying to find it. Kind of small bit of a panic, like, but I eventually kind of got back on track. So yeah, I know that Petzl, it's a decent enough torch and served me well during the race. Were you using a handheld GPS or compass? Uh, no, I just followed the Waymark Trail the whole way. I think it's it's pretty well marked. You know, th th there's no need for kind of a GPS. And what about the GPS watch? Yeah, so I used the Sunto Ambit Three Peak. I think it was. So I think the battery went to me about seventy miles into the race. So from then on, I have no watch really. Like when you finished the race, what was the first thing you did? I think I just uh, hugged the three members of my crew because what they did for me was unbelievable. You know, they put a massive effort into kind of helping me during the race. And the aid stations were like, they've kind of joked before the race that there were going to be like Formula One pit stops. And it's actually how it turned out. I didn't notice at the time, but he had an alarm set in his phone at each at each aid station for 10 minutes. So he wanted me in and out in, in, in under 10 minutes. And I think the longest one we did was 9 minutes 20. So I think every time the alarm went off on his phone, I was gone back on the trail at that stage. They put a massive effort in, like they were outstanding throughout the night section, you know. That's actually a very good idea. Maybe we should edit that one out and gonna <laughs> not, yeah. give, not give it away. That's a great tip. Yeah, no, and it was something we kind of picked up on last year because I kind of felt that we, we spent too long in, in a few of the aid stations. So 
Like we were kind of thinking that maybe we could shave off at least an hour alone just from uh, aid stations. And what about your first meal after the race? Did you stick with a traditional recovery type meal or did you just go mad? Uh, I just went mad. I think we hung around Clarny for a while afterwards. Uh, I think I might have got a, something like a wrap or something in, in the shop afterwards. But then I went home to bed for a few hours. Then that night I just a uh, big pizza, like so <laughs> celebratory pizza. Can't go wrong. And how long do you think it took you to recover following that? I'd say it took a good two weeks, maybe. Like I, I don't think I ran for I'd say seven or eight days after the race. I remember I went back and I, I just did an easy four miles. And it was kind of tough going, like, so I think I took another two or three days off after that. And then I kind of went back in and just kind of trying to ease my way back into it after that. Now, I'm going to take a guess here. Did you do the Glen of Aherlow Ultra a few weeks after doing the Kerry Way? I didn't do the Ultra. I did the marathon. So basically, the, the Glen of Aherlow was part of the Munster Long Distance Championship. And I was leading it with one race to go. So I think you, you had to do... It was either three out of the four or four out of the five races. So I had to finish the last race to win the championship. So it was a case of just turning up and trying to finish ahead of the guy that was just behind me in the in the standings. Now, the reason I asked that question is because I have noticed a pattern that anyone who's doing a trail run to going to go from one to the other. And a few other competitors I've spoken to went from the Kerry Ultra to running the Glen of Aherlow Ultra just after that would you think that it'd be more sensible to take a bit more time off like i was speaking to barry hartnett a while back and he thinks that running those races too close together and especially running the other one hard especially when you do well in the races an expectation from people that you have to perform and also you put a bit of extra expectation on yourself so do you think that that's a way that you might increase your risk of picking up an injury yeah, and I think Barry spoke about this in one of your previous podcasts. Oh, he was flying that year. He was kind of winning every race that he was entering. I think he thought he kind of had to show up and win the race. So I think two weeks is definitely too short a window. I'd say at least four to six weeks you should be kind of looking at before getting back to any type of racing. And I think in general, it's easy to kind of get burnt out from a lot of races. And I think that was probably something I did this year that... I didn't race as much this summer as I did last year, the year before. So I think I only did maybe two races from June on. So I was probably a bit well rested, you know, going in, into the carry way. So maybe it's something I look at in the future where I, I kind of race less, you know, to maximize kind of my freshness, maybe. Sometimes a lesson like that isn't learned until, you know, you actually experience what can happen when you get injured. That's right. And I think a lot of guys out there are trail running. They kind of think that one, one event is, is good training for the other no it, it is I, I would see that myself where you, you'd run one race as good training for another race but i think if you do too many it probably has a detrimental effect and that's where the experience comes in yeah definitely what's next on the calendar for you or, or what's next on your radar next year i got a place this week in the mont blanc 90k out in chamonix so that's the end of june so that'll probably be one of the main main races for next year i think i'll probably put my name in the hat for utmb so like we went out there last year, we done the kind of recce of it over four days and it's an unbelievable spot. So I think, you know, I'd love to give that one a lash earlier on in, in the year, I'd say maybe probably head down to the Slee Gwaltic Muskery Ultra, one of the kind of the first ultra races on the Emory calendar. And I might look at the Morris Mullins in as well in March, maybe. The Slee Gaeltoch Muskery seems to be a popular one with competitors in the Kerry Way. I hear that it's kind of similar in terrain, shorter in distance, but it gives you a feel for what to expect in the Kerry Way. Would you agree with that? Uh, 100%. And I kind of was only telling somebody about that there the other day. They're very, very similar. You know, obviously, 
it's a lot shorter but terrain wise and you know you're kind of following the way mark trail and it, you know a lot of boggy ground which you'd find in the Kerry way as well so it's it's a good marker uh, you know for anybody that's kind of looking at the Kerry way in the future that you know it's it's definitely a race to try out you know to see how they get on and it's only february so that's plenty of time for somebody to actually rest and recover and decide on whether they want to do the Kerry way that's right and i think before i did the Kerry way the first time i think the slee was the longest race that i did prior to the carry way so you know it, you can kind of jump up from i think it's 72k so yeah it's a good one to try out yeah now apart from what we've just mentioned there have you any advice for someone who's maybe doing trail running and wants to step up and do the longer distance trails i'd say what i did was maybe just do a lot of kind of martins kind of the shorter ultras before definitely looking at something like the carry way so like i suppose a lot of kind of 40 to 70 or 80k races maybe what a lot of people would do maybe incorrectly is they're jumping straight from a trail marathon into a 200k you know without building up a you know a fairly decent endurance space which i think is very important you know for events like the carry way now before we finish up is there anything you feel you could add to what we were talking about not really john i suppose it's just you know it's, it's a mixture of kind of mental and, and physical the plan going down there was probably to run the first half of the race with my head and then run the second half with my heart you know and, and i think that's how it panned out you know i think definitely pacing it correctly is very important brian thanks very much for your time and i'm sure we'll cross paths on one of the trails in the near future thanks a million for having me on john it's been a pleasure thanks <laughs>